I'm well, how are you? Are you uh, staying or are you bolting again? We leave Monday. We're going to a conference with Samaritan's Purse for four days. You can pray for Gay and I. On Friday night, we're, we're speaking in front of 1,400 people. I've never done that before. Wow. Where? Where's that? At the conference in Samaritan's Purse. We're in between... Uh, the speakers there are going to be Will Graham over the period... Um, Tony Perkins, you familiar with that name? The family, family. Oh no, no. The Family Life Council. Um, Pence is going to be there. Um, uh, Huckabee is going to be there. This is distinguished doings. That's great, Rick. Yeah, but I'm prepared remarks. Oh yeah, Gay and I are going to do it together. They want us to share. We get six minutes. That's all we get. Oh, that's too bad. That's too bad. Because you guys did a great job out here. You know, in the business conference, you and Dave, which really sells that whole thing. Well, thank you for your kind words. Well, I mean, it was great. So anyway, we, we get to share a little bit about, they want us to share about our volunteer experience. And part of what we're going to say is how Grace has embraced, our home churches embraced Samaritan's Purse, and we're sending teams out, and we're a lighthouse church, so. Um, okay, uh, so let me pray, and we will start, and Lord, thank you for the day that we get to go to church, that we hear the Word of God preached, that we understand the Word of God when it is preached. Thank you that there are challenges to us. And Lord, you know, that we would be found holy in your sight. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Okay. And Mrs. Johnson, where is thy husband? He's talking. He's talking. Put him in the corner. Somebody yelled, Nate. (laughs) Okay. Uh, So, this is... This is old business. This is on the older brother and the prodigal son. And I meant to get this. This this was really good, and I never did, but I am now. So, old business having nothing to do with the chapter on repentance. Okay? So. He didn't repent. There he is. He quit talking. Your wife was wondering where you were. <laughs> oh no, she knew where you were. <laughs> okay, so this paragraph is talking about the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son. Okay, now we've already said that um, he is the figure or the metaphoric figure for Pharisees um, and Jesus talking to Pharisees. Come sit up front. This is Carol. 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 Uh, about the Pharisees himself. And so this comment about the older brother, just extend this out to the Pharisees, okay? We clear about what I'm doing here, and this is old business. The older brother's focus was totally on himself. And as a result, there was no joy in his brother's arrival home. So put this in a... Try to gear yourself into this thing. And even... For us, okay. There was no joy in his wayward brother's arrival home. He's so consumed with issues of justice and equity that he fails to see the value of his brother's repentance and return. He fails to realize that anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness himself. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light. There is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and he doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded him and of course that's 1 John. 
The older brother allows anger to take root in his heart to the point he's unable to show compassion towards his brother. And for that matter, he is unable to forgive the perceived sin of his father against him. He prefers to nurse his anger rather than enjoy fellowship with his father, brother, and the community. He chooses suffering and isolation over restoration and reconciliation. He sees his brother's return as a threat to his own inheritance. After all, why should he have to share his portion with a brother who has squandered his? And why hadn't his father rejoiced in his presence through all those faithful years of service? Get a grip, get a grip on that. Awful. Awful when you look at it from that perspective and you say, oh Lord, don't let that be true of me. Please. And yet the scripture accuses us at times of looking at other people like the younger brother and the word that's used is with contempt. Awful. Okay, that's old business. Just thought I'd bring that up. That cheery little note. <laughs> and cheery little note number two. Is that what I wanted to do? Okay, that was the paragraph. Okay, so my question to you, Framie, today. And that's what some of this is about. And the lesson. It hinges on this question. Can you lose your salvation? Can you lose your salvation? This is, this is the bridge to last week. Can you lose your salvation? Is there any act of man? Now listen, please. Is there any act of man that outperforms the act of God? No. Well, you're awful quick to say that. You know, ethically speaking... It, it, we're reformed. Yeah, that was, that's got to be our answer. Just keep that afloat. Is there any act of man that outperforms the act of God? Because that's what that's all about over there. See, this is, I'm going to get there. I'm not going to, I'm not going to camp there. But this is the section out of the Ordo Salutis from Arminians. This is the reformed Ordo Salutis. So Arminians say, here's the effectual call. This is the call of God. Here's repentance and faith of the man that results in regeneration. Maybe. The reformed position is here's the call, here's the regeneration, and there's repentance and faith as a consequence of the call and the regeneration. I want you to keep that afloat as we talk about repentance. Alright. Here's, here's what the modern church. Here's what the evangelical church is doing with repentance. And I brought this up before. This is a book that um, more Elizabeth than me that we are previewing. And I've got Christian previewing it. We're discussing doing a joint Sunday school and doing one book. Andre and Christian and I team teaching. We're discussing doing that. Okay, And I've said Andre is hard to lasso in these <laughs> But but here is here is what the evangelical church is doing with true repentance. If, some of them. Some of the evangelical church. Okay. Good. Some. That's right. Not all. So here's their position. If Jesus is compassionate, if Jesus is compassionate, then he sees my sin. From my point of view. How much water does it take to get that? Okay. I'm not making this up. This is what's going on. I'm sure you guys see it. He sees my sin from my point of view, not the Bible's. Jesus knows the bad things I do are just coping mechanisms. <laughs> the consequence of this unbiblical standard preached from cultural Christian pulpits and social media today is deadly. This is Mark Jones, by the way. Take, for example, the Church 2 movement. Probably familiar with this. Church, the Church 2 movement, which grew out of the Me Too movement, which had 
a lot to do with um, sexual abuse. Okay. Uh, take, for example, the Church 2 movement, which has recently pushed to the front line women who are repenting of their repentance. This is, uh, you're, you're, I mean, but this is not a joke. This is, this is sincere. I, I understand the irony. And, okay, they're repenting of their repentance. Yes, you got that. Some prominent women who had previously publicly repented of adultery have been encouraged by the Church 2 movement to see their adultery as a manifestation of abuse, not sin. It's always somebody else's fault. Yeah. Just remember that. This, in his considered a feminist logic, goes like this. If their adultery partners were older and in position of power over them, then their sexual misconduct was a manifestation of their victimhood and not sin. If you are a victim, you can't be a sinner, so declares the wisdom of our age. Now, is this true or false? No, it's false. Relying on the best purity minds... This author, Mark Jones, shows how you can be both sinned against and sinning all at the same time, which is the Reformed position. You just don't escape that news. No one wants to put sinful burdens on the backs of actual victims. And the most burdensome thing you can do to a true believer is to blind her, let's see, that you can do to a true believer is bind her to theological ignorance and discourage anyone from repentance. All right, now, so the if I go on and read this, what you find is that based on whatever your particular sin is, you may not need to repent at all. So Jerry, does my second grade bad experience take care of all my sin? Gives you leeway for all of your sin from that point on. I always wondered where that root was. Shazam. Okay. If mom and dad hadn't had you, wouldn't be having a problem. <laughs> Alright, this... Um, now again, you know, MacArthur is good at pointing out inconsistencies in other areas of the church. I, and I mentioned to you last week, I was a walk through the Bible and he was at war with Bruce Wilkinson over Bruce Wilkinson's uh, version or commentary of uh, John 15 on the vine. Okay, MacArthur got violent. Uh, I don't mean that. Uh, vitriolic is what I mean to say. It wasn't violent. Uh, with Bruce over that. Okay, so uh, MacArthur's good at this. Uh, in this, in the Gospel according to Jesus, and in this particular section, now he's talking about repentance, and he's talking about what the evangelical church, typically in America, elsewhere, but typically America, what they're doing with the whole concept of repentance. And, unfortunately, our buddies, Charles Ryrie, St. Hodges, are in that pile, fostering a lot of this is as well as other Dallas seminary outlets. They deal, in MacArthur's opinion, in the reform position, they deal too lightly with the concept of repentance. Okay, so let me get let me get to this to just preface what we're talking about because there's a whole different mindset about how repentance comes even even comes to you. So I'm asking you to reflect on your own conversions, okay? This over here is solid gold because it is. Who ventures a guess as to what that is? The golden chain. There you are, and that is Romans eight. Eight. Very good. You've been sick. Romans eight twenty-eight. Very good. Okay. Had to prompt you along the way, but that's all right. We'll get the swing. I've been sick. I've been sick. sick. You know, but I knew what was there. So, okay. So this is right out of the scripture. This is this is Romans eight twenty eight. This is right out of the scripture that says this is how you are redeemed according to the foreknowledge of God, according to the predestinating action of God, according to the affectional call of God according to the justification that God gives and the glorification that you are guaranteed of. Now let me point out, there's no act of man in any of that. No. 
zero. Okay? Let me move over. What do Arminians, what do Arminians do with this? What do Arminians do with this? Okay? So Mr. Ryrie, Mr. Hodges, and others are in this camp somewhere lurking. They are definitely not in this camp, which is the reform camp. They're in this camp lurking. Okay? They recognize the effectual call of God. Arminians, generally speaking, will recognize the effectual call of God. Roman Catholics. You can even put Roman Catholics over here. And now, it shifts just depending on exactly who you're talking about. Okay? The effectual call that God makes through the preaching of the gospel, repentance, and faith, and repentance and faith yield regeneration. So your performance, here's your act of man, your performance in regeneration and faith can cause regeneration. Back to my original question. Is there an act of man that can outperform the act of God, or in this particular case, negate the act of God? Okay, you got this? See this? Now this is... So that's, I mean, we're going to talk about this. And the Reformed position is that you get the call of God through the preaching of the Word, generally speaking, that's how the Gospel gets delivered to the preaching of the Word. Normally. The normative issues in the Scripture. You get the preaching of the Word, and that's the call of God on you. You get God acting on you, which is the regeneration of your spirit. You come to life, and then you, in your new life, do what? I repent, and I believe. So here, repentance and faith totally in line with the regeneration that is given and acted on you. Okay, Over here, repentance and faith are your addition to your salvation, which yields regeneration. It's just flipped. So how do they line that up with Scripture? That's a good question. In fact, how do they? They skip parts. They... What was the question? <laughs> how do they line it up with Scripture? Okay, that's why... I'm gonna I'm gonna to come to you. Okay, so considering this, and by the way, I, I stress these points to say these are all man acted on. There is no action of man in that at all. There's none. Okay, okay. You can see if you start with the effectual calling, where they get in the trap of almost like what happened back with the Pharisees and the scribes, they redefine what that call needs to look like so that it gets the results because you're putting it back in man's pocket. Mm -hmm. And what he says and how he says it is going to definitely have an effect on how it's received. So it's got to have, it's got to be God's calling. It's got to be true repentance. And if it's anything less than that, then it's fake and it's working on the idea that man is the one controlling both the call and the response to the call. Yeah, that's see, You said results. And so what do they do? We talked about this before. But in order to make that scheme work, what do Arminians do with Christians that don't at all look like they believe? and yet claim to be part of the church. What do they do with that? They created a whole new category called carnal Christianity. There you go. Okay, well, I'll just make a new category and we'll stick these people in there that don't believe and don't look like they believe, but... Then the recipe is complete. Then the recipe is complete. Okay, so I'm being a bit sarcastic with it. But, okay, now, Ryrie doesn't go that far, okay? He says that, um, and we'll get there, but basically he says that he agrees with the effectual call of God and he believes that regeneration and faith are the same thing. Mm -hmm. 
Reformed position is the regeneration yields repentance and faith. Not repentance and faith as one bite. Now, that's... Yes, honey. Sherry, um, one thing that Gay said that I'm just remembering about you've taught us before, if you say this, then you have to say that. Oh, yeah. And that's what the problem happens with the Arminian view because you can't respond in repentance and faith if you're dead in a dead faith is useless. The scripture says that. Yeah. Dead means dead. Sure. I don't know what to repent from. Yeah. Well, if you're not regenerate, then you cannot move your mouth. Is that, I mean, do we understand that brain. according to what you're saying? Yeah. I mean, dead is dead versus a reformed position that says you are brought to life and then you start to act like it. Okay? Because so. it's an effectual call. It is. Jerry, the, on the Armenian side, if you talk to a good Arme, uh, one who's really in that camp, uh, and you ask them, can you can a man reject the call of God? And they'll, they'll tell you yes. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, what does that do to the sovereignty of God? Then it yeah. puts it, takes it out of God's hands okay. and puts it in my hand. Makes him, makes him uh, powerless. There you go. Yeah. See, now there, power, my original question. Can an act of man outperform... An act of God. Okay? Now, come back here. Now, this is taken right. This is not Reformed theology. This is not something we made up. No. Okay? We're saying that you are redeemed. You are going to be glorified based on the foreknowledge of God. That God knew you and loved you before there was you. That He predestined. That He predetermined your salvation. Through an effectual call, you are justified and glorified. Okay, I mean, there isn't really any room in there unless you artificially create it, which theologies do, and as Gay pointed out, they do it for the sake of trying to make room for people that obviously do not believe. Because the demands, the demands of Christ are very heavy. He doesn't say, oh, just come and it'll all be fine. He's saying, pick up your cross and follow me. And it's not going to be easy. I mean, there are two, there are two different gospels being preached, okay? Alright, now, this is out of the, for those of you that can reach way back, you were there, others, some of you, when we did the Westminster Confession, this was 10 years ago, 12 years ago, I have no idea. It took us forever. 2010, It did? Pardon me? 2010. Twi- <laughs> okay. <laughs> Some of the best years of your life, wasn't it? <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> uh, now, I do remember the room. It was downstairs in the old church back in the corner. That was the, I was the new guy, and that's the room they gave us. So we pack in there. And, okay. Did you get it done in 2010? That was that, you knew that, that was a low blow, wasn't it? She needs to repent. Okay, so that's a no. Alright, but you'll remember that uh, the way the Westminster Confession deals with this whole area of regeneration and faith and repentance, it does this, okay? To begin with, we must observe that regeneration, regeneration, keep your terms straight, is inseparable from its effects. From what? Say that again. Its effects. Regeneration is inseparable from its effects. Now, hold on to that, right? Regeneration achieves its desired ends. Okay? And one of the effects of faith is, excuse me, one of the effects of regeneration is faith. Another effect of regeneration is repentance. Regeneration is the renewing of the heart or mind 
and the renewed personality must and will act according to its nature. Now this is the stand the Westminster Confession takes on this issue. In faith and repentance, we simply see the new nature beginning to assert itself. Dead, alive. Okay? See this? Unbelief, belief. You start to see you start to see the effects of regeneration. Again, I'm taking you back to your own conversion. When did the gospel start to make sense to you as the truth? It was a little alarming at first, wasn't it? Wow, I believe that. When did I start believing that? There you are. Okay, beginning to assert itself. Likewise, it must be stressed that repentance and faith are the activity of the sinner as regeneration is the act of God. Regeneration is the act of God. The response of repentance and faith belong to the sinner. It is God who regenerates. It is the sinner who repents and believes. Finally, we must realize that repentance and faith are inseparable. Now, this is a key fact in dealing with Mr. Ryrie, Mr. Hodges, because they want to either separate, excuse me, they want to combine regeneration and faith. They want to say they're the same thing. Why do Arminians call the call effectual, considering how they look at that? Why do they use that word? I don't know that they do. I put it up there, but I don't know that they use that term. I think it's a calling, a general calling. Well, I think part of your response is when you read that scripture in Ephesians, it says God in love did this. Yeah. So it, that's really important that you know that he did this because he loved us. Oh, yeah. And that makes your repentance all the more precious. Yeah. And his calling that when I read that phrase and he says, in love he did this. Yes. I think God loved me. Yeah. And so it makes your sin so much bigger when you see God loves So me. much more awful. And I'm an awful person. Yeah, I know. How do you get through Ephesians 1 and still be an Arminian? I don't know. Serious question. I don't know how you do it. You know? That's what Carol said. Because I was. I lined up with Scripture. Yeah, I was right there. See, the problem with that is the way the Arminian camp, it makes you doubt your salvation. Yeah, Did I do it sad. right? Did I do it wrong? Did uh, I, or do I do enough? Did I do enough? Yeah. You no, you don't. <laughs> you don't. <laughs> you don't. <laughs> See, a reformer guy says no. Smell it, <laughs> I, I remember. Because it's up to God, thankfully. When I was a young fella growing up, which was a century ago now, but um, the Baptist churches yeah. around and so on and so forth that had this thing that say once saved always saved sure and they was a, a lot of the camps just butted heads over that saying you know that can't be you can lose it you know the, the free will so, the free will and all that stuff but I remember uh, hearing some of well I had a couple of uncles that were pastors and they they, they were big on that once saved always saved yeah. you know so that comes straight out of Romans eight twenty eight, you know, and then the other camps. I don't know where they got it. Act of man, act of God, right? Uh, there cannot be one talking about uh, repentance and faith. There cannot be one apart from the other. This reason, um, okay, and then uh, the confession goes on to say that conversion, repentance, and faith is called in the reform camp conversion. That's that's the term I use, is conversion. Your conversion, my conversion, okay, is the recognition and the acting on regeneration is considered to be in the reform camp, in our talk, our reform speak, conversion. Jerry? Yes, sir. This Armenian thought, how far back 
does it go? I'll tell you, you, you trace it back to Roman Catholic theology, and that was uh, Thomas Aquinas, a terrific theologian. However, um, this concept that man had true free will, okay? So he had a liberated will so that he could actually choose in favor of God, okay? The Reformed position is you don't have free will. Your will is dominated by your desire to run from God, not run to God. Okay? So, so it was the Catholics that started that, and then you hit the Reformation period, and you get a distinct, um, what we would call Arminian position, stated within Protestantism. So not Catholic, stayed within Protestantism, and that's where Tulip came from, was during that period of time. So right, right there around 1600. Uh, a Dutch professor, Arminius, yeah. his followers yeah. were the ones that sort of combated Calvinism with the, the, the five points of Calvinism. Very good. Yeah, he got his name hung on it. Really wasn't him, it was his followers. Good point. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay, so conversion follows... Regeneration, but repentance and faith accompany rather than follow one another. Here's my here's the point that differs greatly from the position that that Ryrie and Hodges take and where MacArthur is drawing a sword is that um, and, I, and I'll if I don't blow my time I'm going to show you where actually Ryrie says this, uh, but they want to lump regeneration and faith together and that say you get one without the other without expression of really either. Okay? So, okay, let me say it again. Okay, the position that MacArthur's talking about that is getting preached through the evangelical church is that repentance is not necessary for conversion. Faith, expression, some expression of faith is necessary for conversion. Repentance is not. And Ryrie, others, talk about demanding repentance for true conversion is you are adding a work to the gospel which is making it a false gospel. Okay? Clear about that? Just distinguish the terms. So is he talking about actual the point of conversion or is he talking about sanctification? No, he's talking about your uh, point of conversion in the declaration of the gospel. Is repentance necessary for conversion? Let me put it that way. Is repentance necessary for conversion? He's saying repentance is a work of man. He's saying repentance is a work of man and therefore is not necessary for true conversion. I don't see how that Only faith is. All you got to do is say you believe. But Jesus said repent and believe too. So do you go that? Preach the gospel a lot like that, that all you got to do is say you believe in Jesus and that's enough and repentance is not an aspect necessary for conversion. Okay. Are we clear of what I what I said? Are we clear about this? Laura, are we clear? I, uh, 25 years ago, I heard this story. And, you know, I'm, I'm raised Southern Baptist. I just, you know, all this. But I uh, went to the seminary, all that. And this story disturbed me so, but it was the story of a young boy coming to his father saying, I want to be saved. And the father said, no, son, you're a good boy. Go play. <gasps> And then he came back. I want to be said, no, son, you're a good boy. Go play. And this went on and on. And then finally he said, he said, I want to be saved. He said, no, son, you're a good boy. He said, but I'm not a good boy. He said, now. <laughs> now is the point that you need a savior. Now you need to be saved. And I, that just offended me. So, because, you know, if anybody wants to be saved, we're supposed to get them saved. 
And yeah. I have since thought, I have changed my mind. Yep, <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah, I mean, Jesus preaches, Jesus preaches a hard gospel. I mean, this is not an easy thing, and we've talked about this a good bit, where he runs off way more people than he corrals. I mean, it looks like he's actively trying to dissuade these people that want to come to him. But he's only willing to take a very slim slice of humanity and they have to come on the right terms. And repentance has always been the issue with him. I mean, the very first time he publicly that we have record of, what did he say? Repent. Repent! Or you too shall likewise perish. Okay, so I am finally to our notes. Uh, I was all preamble. Um, okay, so where do I want to go? Okay, uh, I'm just going to spin through this. Uh, the popular, this is all in your book, uh, so this should not be news. The popularized gospel today runs contrary to the, our Savior's own teaching. Uh, repentance was a recurring motif in all of the public sermons of Jesus. So we're not making stuff up from other places. All you got to do is look at the sermons that Jesus preached. Repentance always had a prominent part. Unless you repent, you will likewise perish. That's Luke 13. Okay? Uh, Now, the problem here, and this is on page 175, if you want to get yourself oriented there, uh, in the new book. Many preachers today act as if the necessity of repentance invalidates the freedom of grace. Now that was Henry Ironside that said that, and that was a century ago. That somehow it's gotten worked into the general way we deliver the gospel is that if you demand repentance, you are invalidating the gospel of grace. Ironside recognized the dangers of an incipient, what he called, easy believism. Shallow preaching that does not grapple with the terrible fact of man's sinfulness and guilt, which calls on men everywhere to repent. This results in shallow conversions who give no evidence of regeneration whatsoever. I'm asking you to think about this in terms of what you see, what you hear. Um, Okay. Now, I actually did this. MacArthur brings up the Ryrie Study Bible, and I've got one of those. Anybody have one? Anybody have the Ryrie Study Bible? I've got one. It's nice, big, clear print. I can read it. I just don't read the notes. (laughs) And... um, And what MacArthur says, when he notes the Ryrie Study Bible, he puts in parenthesis, watch out. It includes a synopsis of of doctrine that lists repentance as a quote, this is a quote from the Ryrie Study Bible. Repentance is a false addition to faith. Now, we're not we're not not demonizing Charles Ryrie. We're talking about a philosophy of doctrine that we think is infecting the way the gospel is delivered contrary to the way Jesus delivered the gospel. Okay, are we clear about this? Charles Ryrie has done some really good work. Zane Hodges has done some really good work. These are not heretics. These are not charlatans in any fashion. However, we, we don't see the gospel preached by Jesus the same way that he does. Okay, that regeneration, he says that repentance is a false addition to faith. When we, reformed people, make it a condition for salvation. Do we? You think we do that? Do you think we make repentance a necessary condition for salvation. I don't think we make it a condition. It's a, nat- it's a natural flow from regeneration. 
if they're being generated, they're going to see the need for repentance. How can you be forgiven if you don't repent? Yeah. And how can you be forgiven? This blanket forgiveness, oh, just come and all is forgiven? Is that the way we. No, we are not. We are not to preach the gospel that way. Changing of the mind or changing of the heart? Well, very good. Now, uh, what does repentance mean? What do you typically hear repentance means? I think it's a changing of the mind. Most people look at it. Okay. Changing of the heart. Okay. I think that's where the confusion. It is actually okay. So. Uh, Eva is saying it is a turn, it is a change of direction. You hear it to be that you change your mind about Jesus. Okay? That you change your mind about Jesus. Doesn't include... An, uh, yes, that kind of reminds me of that commercial on TV about the vision works. The guys were drift in the, in the ocean all by himself and he changed his mind about the glasses and he didn't need anything else. <laughs> <laughs> Just changing your mind is not enough. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And what that looks like to me. Okay, now let me just let me just bleed this over into effects, uh, the effects that this has on the church. Alright? Look at some of the issues that we face as as an evangelical church. Not grace, not the PCA, just the evangelical church. Okay? We're, we're fighting over an issue like homosexuality. All right, Fighting over this issue and the position that has been compromised for the place for the church to be able to accept homosexuality is, I'm just using this as an example, is that a homosexual can stay a homosexual and uh, yet still believe be considered a member of the church. And practice homosexuality? Okay, now there's Not there's two there's two realms with that. Okay. That's a yes and no. Okay. But my point to you is take any, take anything. Alright? That particular issue says that you can have you can be regenerated and not repent of serious and public sin. I'm just trying to give you an example about how this works into the church and what its fruits are. Jerry, when our church up north, we were PC USA, and they started going to gay pastors and everything else, and they lost hundreds. We left and went to EPC. They've lost hundreds of churches, and they just keep getting worse. Well, it's a it's a bigger door. Um, you know, if you're in your book, you're on page 177. I'll get there. Uh, this theological position and those like it, this is right out of your book, have redefined repentance. Because that's what we're talking They write it off as simply a change of mind about who Christ is. This kind of repentance has nothing to do with turning from sin or abandoning your self efforts. It is truly devoid of any recognition of personal guilt. Now, that was my opening comment in knowing sin. Any intent is devoid of any intent to obey God or any desire for true righteousness. It's sort of a guilt-free conversion, and I put notes in here. You know, the whole "I'm okay, you're okay" thing uh-huh. yeah. was kind of the church version. Of Elizabeth. Um, I, I just think it's worth saying that in, two, in 2 Timothy 2.25, it says God may grant repentance. So going back to the comment, someone here, I don't know if it was Terry or Paul, said we need to have a change of heart. God changes the heart. And if God changes the heart, you will repent. Yes. That's, see, I think that's right. I, see, that's this. If you change your mind, that's, this. that's not acceptance. No, you can be convinced. Yeah. I, I totally If you can change your mind one way, you can re-change it again. You can blow whichever way the wind wants to blow. Active man, active God. Okay. Hey, Bonnie. Do you know, if, 
if you don't see your need for repentance, you also don't see the measure of God's mercy. You have to see that sin and hate it to realize how wonderful God's mercy is. Yes, it is. You know, and, and recognizing the grip sin has on you. I mean, most a lot of the issues that we have in not understanding um, the, the gospel Jesus preached is um, we don't consider our sin to be that awful. Right? So you consider it to be so awful that God can't forgive it, and then you're limiting God's ability. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Aren't people who are saying that they don't have to repent living in regret rather than in repentance? I mean, they're not accepting with their stony heart how could they even want anything stony is a good term and we studied uh, previously the condition of the soils everybody remember that the condition of the soils and it you remember MacArthur making this point it doesn't matter how much seed you throw on the soil that's all packed down doesn't matter how much seed you throw on that it is not going to grow grass Birds will eat that for you. No, but it's the Holy Spirit that prepares that soil. And then the seed is planted. There you are. There is a soil that produces, isn't it? But we don't stir it up. Don't? And our natural condition is hard packed, stubborn, willful, stubborn, willful, disobedience, and again, take you back to your conversion. The condition of your head. Elizabeth and I were talking about this because we knew each other. We're married. Uh, when our conversions took place, I said, "What were you thinking? You know, <laughs> what were you thinking about God?" And it was pointing point. What were you thinking about? What was our position on that? And we concluded we were simply indifferent. Sin you wasn't. Know, excuse me. There's a sense of fear too because we recognize God's wrath against sin so I mean you don't fear into because it's God doing it but there is a sense of fear that God is he hates it when you start to realize that yeah Eva when you start to realize that when you get those inklings of fear and God's wrath you're out but that wasn't there I can honestly say that wasn't there you never feared God I just didn't yeah I, I would just yeah, we're okay. I never. Well, I was okay. If you was raised here in the hills and went to these little churches, it was all about <laughs> fear, wasn't it? Yes, it was. That pain in his neck would be popping out as he was telling you you were going to hell. <laughs> okay, so this is on page 180 in your book. And uh, this is from Martin Lloyd Jones. Okay, repentance means that you realize you are a guilty, vile sinner. Martin Lloyd-Jones. A guilty, vile sinner in the presence of God. That you deserve the wrath and punishment of God. That you are hell-bound. You renounce the world, whatever the cost. You deny yourself. You take up the cross and you go after Christ. The whole world may call you a fool and you may have to suffer financially, but it makes no difference. That is biblical repentance, according to Martin Lloyd-Jones. Now, does that differ from the kind of gospel presentation that you hear typically? This is where, and I made this note here, this is where guilt is actually productive. Your sense and feelings of guilt is actually very productive to you in terms of your faith. Isn't that our soul crying out to us? Well, sometimes you've got to realize that when, when this happens, that Satan's going to be in there and start, and sometimes it's very difficult to, to stand and to hang on, even when everything else is, you know, yeah, yeah. So Elizabeth and I, Elizabeth gets the chance in her ministry at the Pregnancy Center uh, to preach the gospel to these women that comes in. So she has lots of opportunities. 
And so I was joking with her. I said, okay, how are you going to work this hellfire repentance into your spiel with these women? <laughs> and so what we came down to was somehow her working with the concept of guilt. Do you feel any sense of guilt? R.C. Sproul would say, what do you do with your guilt? What do you do with your yeah. guilt? There you are. Um, okay, and there were, let's see, on page 181, um, the, this out, comes out of the Old Testament. And let's see. Did I write those down? They're right here. Page 181. This is nine activities out of the Old Testament of how they saw uh, repentance looking. Okay? And I'll, I'll end with this. I'll break. Um, okay. Now this is out of Isaiah 1, 16 and 17. This is an Old Testament, now, yeah, an Old Testament concept of what repentance looked like. It described nine activities related to repentance. Okay, here you go. This Wash yourselves. Pardon me? This is works. Okay, well, this is their view of what repentance looks like that you may well consider to be, yeah, that never went away, in its concept, okay? Wash yourselves. Make yourself clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Remove the ruthless, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. Old Testament picture of what true repentance looked like. But in the New Testament, it says take off the old. There you are. But that also had the sacrificial system attached to it. Well, it did. Well, it was just attached to Jesus on the cross. But I'm just saying. First Peter says, flee. Run in terror from evil. Seek peace. So, those are some aspects of repentance that we are saying here in this lesson. And MacArthur making a clear point. The modern gospel is not being preached the way Jesus preached it. And repentance is a key feature of that. Lord, thank you for your word to us. Thank you for the abilities we have, the goodness expressed to us every single day. We woke up this morning. We woke up to enjoy the day and the community, the fellowship that's here, the preaching of your word. Thank you for these good gifts. You are uh, lavish us with an abundance of grace. In the name of Christ, amen.